Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, I preached a message <clears throat> called, uh, called Demonstration. And, and, you know, like the anointing, the message I thought was average, but the anointing was great. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I drove home after service, and my wife wasn't here. She was at home not feeling well. And um, <clears throat> I drove home, and it was like one of those nights where I could feel the anointing when I got home. Like it, it was still there. Like I should have gone out to a restaurant and prayed for people or something, <laughs> you know, but uh, no one wanted to go out to dinner with me that night. So I just went home. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so I drove home, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, my wife's going to be so pumped. Like, she watched online. She's going to be like, honey, that was amazing. Power of God was moving. People got healed. People got delivered. Um, or maybe just, hey, you look cute, you know, up there, something like that. And, uh, and, but I get home, and she goes, babe, you can't tell people. You need to stop telling people to punch each other when they sit down. <laughs> She's like, what if somebody gets triggered? And I'm like, that is the lamest. Like, what congregation are you preaching to? Because I'm preaching to a bunch of strong people who can take a punch and keep on ticking. So if you get triggered when I say that, I apologize, but I'm going to say it for, uh, again next time. I just had to, I'm taking a one-week reprieve in honor of my wife. And then I'm going to, we're going to punch each other next time I preach, so. <laughs> um, well, it's good to be, we are in our evangelism series right now, and man, I want to encourage you, like Pastor Charles and Tessa was saying, invite somebody to something. In the next, you know, six weeks, we have so many easy things. It, even our church is pretty cool, too, so you don't want to invite them to church, you could do that, or Twisted, or Night of Christmas, Men's Women's Prayer. Sometimes people come to Men's and Women's Prayer before they ever come to our church, so you'll be surprised uh, at what people are, are willing to come to, but but Jesus actually said, go into all the world and make disciples, not of just people, but of all nations, teaching them what I've commanded you to observe. And so um, I, I like that because discipleship is actually just not about the other person. It's actually about you. Um, when, when, uh, when, when I was playing baseball, we had a, a roving outfield instructor, and he'd come down to all the different, like, single A, double A, triple A, whatever, and he would make sure that we were all learning the same things, and then he would say, in the offseason, go to a, a high school camp or a junior high camp and teach somebody what I taught you, because as you teach, it reinforces what's in you. In fact, you don't actually know it until you teach somebody it. And so when you're discipling people, yeah, absolutely, it's about the other person, but it actually helps you ingrain in you what God is teaching you or, or has taught you. So, so that's, just a, that's just a side note, but go teach somebody. So it wasn't a suggestion that Jesus made. It was a mandate for you and I to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So the title of this message is Mandate. We've been given a mandate. Um, here, here's, here's what's hard about discipling nations. If you don't occupy the highest seats of authority in a nation, it's hard to shift the nation. There was a, there was a, a, a powerful church, um, and this has happened in the last 10 years, in a nation of 5 million people, and the church had over 40,000 people in the church. In a nation of 5 million, that's a big church. And uh, that's a big church anywhere. <laughs> but, the, but they had 40,000 people. They were influencing 
a nation. They had uh, top pop stars, uh, entertainers, top business people. They had the, the number one taxpayer in the whole nation went to their church. If you're paying that much taxes, you must be making quite a lot of money. You might be influential in the, in the business world. And so they were, they were literally uh, beginning to disciple a nation towards Christ until, until the, the, the church made a decision financially and some people may think it's like kind of in the gray. It was, a, it was probably worth a slap on the wrist potentially, but they were just trying to push the limits to reach the marketplace. And, uh, and so instead of the, the government uh, slapping them on the wrist, maybe giving them a fine, maybe going, hey, nonprofits aren't supposed to do this kind of thing. Nobody like lost their money or anything. Um, they put him in jail uh, for over three years. He got out in just over two years. They put him in solitary confinement. They were literally trying to break him because he was too powerful. He was influencing a nation. But because they didn't occupy the highest seat of authority in government, they were able to be shut down. Sounds kind of like COVID. Sounds kind of like COVID. And so, so we, need, we need people, uh, Christian people, to, to occupy the highest seats of authority. And in Pathfinders, this is what we teach. We're just coming off a Pathfinders conference last weekend and uh, it, was, it was so powerful, and, and we teach in Pathfinders, but, we, but Pathfinders is an arm of the church, so we teach in our church that we need to influence culture through the seven mountains or the seven spheres of influence. So you have, you have government, arts, entertainment, and sports, media, education, business, faith, family. When we were there, Lance Wallnow added an eighth mountain called science and technology. Because he says nowadays that people throw out some science and everybody bows their knee to science. Sounds like COVID, right? Everybody heard, oh, the science, the science. Everybody bowed their knee to, to science and AI is coming. So, so he's, he added an eighth mountain or an eighth sphere of culture of, of science and technology. Um, how, this, how this whole thing kind of, kind of started um, where the church used to just kind of build the church and think everybody was just going to come to the church, but Jesus says, go into the world. We thought everyone was just going to come into the church, but we're meant to go into the world. And so uh, in 1975, Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham, the starters of Campus Crusade for Christ and YWAM, they met together. And in the same week, the reason they met together, because in the same week, God spoke to them and said, hey, you need to start raising up people to go into the marketplace and start to influence like the seven mountains of culture. And so, so they had this idea and God spoke to them the same week, pretty miraculous. So they started to talk about it, but back then they would, they would raise up these teenagers and young adults and college students, and they'd send them out, almost like door knocking, like the Mormons or whatever, and they'd try to go influence culture, but what they found was these kids had no influence in the business world. They had no influence with these athletes, or they had no influence with teachers or educators or government officials or whatever, because they were just these students that were going out. Not a bad thing, but they didn't have influence, and so they... they they realized they needed to, to, to shift some things because we're called to raise up people in your assignment to reach your mountain or to reach your sphere, not just raise up people in the church and then say, hey, go, go speak to these people. The job of the church, Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry in your assignment. And so that's what, that's what we, we, we st have started to do kind of in the early 2000s until now is we've kind of realized, hey, we got to raise up people in their specific mountain of influence. And the reason they call them mountains uh, or spheres, the mountains comes from Isaiah 2.2. So I just want to read you the scripture. It says, 
in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountain. So the, the chief mountain is the church. And, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Um, and so, so we, we started to send people out, but realized that wasn't really working because we need to raise people up in their sphere, in their call, in their assignment and culture to reach their people. Um, Charlie Kirk says this, and he's, a, he's probably at the top of the mountain in the government sphere, or one of the people at the top of the mountain in the government sphere. He says, the most important thing in the world is the church and reaching people for Christ, putting people in heaven. He says that is the number one thing in the world to do. He says his assignment is the second most important thing in the world, and that is to make sure the most important thing can happen. So he believes his assignment is to influence government in such a way that they can't shut down the church, that the church can still flourish and reach people, because at the end of the day, we're all called to build the kingdom of God no matter what sphere of culture you're assigned to. And so that's what our, our job is. The second reason they said that, you know, uh, people weren't influencing culture or Christians weren't influencing cultures because Christians didn't see themselves as missionaries or evangelists in the marketplace. They separated their church or what was sacred with what was secular. So at, at Awaken, we want, we want to combine those things because the most sacred thing you can do is the secular thing God has assigned you to do. Or the religious thing, or the sacred thing. Whatever God has assigned you to do is the most sacred thing you can do. And so people would go into the marketplace, and they would just go to work, and then they'd come to church. It's like two separate things. So we started to teach people that, hey, no, you're actually an evangelist in the marketplace. You're actually called to influence where you are and where God has assigned you. And what they found was all we need is 3 to 5% of the population in any specific mountain or sphere to shift the whole mountain, to shift the whole sphere. And here's the study that they did. They said the gay rights movement is the best case study of this fact. The, this group represents less than 2% of our population. This was when this was written uh, a little bit ago. Yet through a strategy to influence culture through the seven cultural mountains, they have shifted America's mindset about this issue from being a moral issue to being a civil issue. Just imagine what Christians could do, given we represent 40% of the population in our nation, if we adopted an intentional strategy to impact culture. 40%, if we had an intentional, intentional strategy to impact culture, what could we do? If we were united as Christians, if we had this mindset, this that we have a mandate to influence culture. Somebody said today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. Today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. I was golfing with this Romanian guy a few years ago, and we were golfing, and he was talking to us about Romania and how when he was there as a communist nation, and they would have to wait in lines to get food. And so they would wait in these lines, and he said sometimes they would wait uh, two, three hours, and by the time they got to the front, they wouldn't even have any food left, so they'd have to go home, and they wouldn't eat that day. And he said when, when he looked around America, this is a few years ago, before COVID, when he looked around America and he saw all these socialist and communist ideas coming into America, he's like, people don't understand. If we allow, if we're complacent, we're going to become captive. So it was blowing his mind that he had moved from that kind of a nation to a free nation. Now all of a sudden he's seeing that same attitude, same concept, same ideas coming into America. So he was giving us, giving us a warning. 
But it seems if you would just listen to the media that we've kind of lost our Christian home field advantage in, in America. I actually don't think that's true. I just think that the, the, uh, the, the media mountain has been taken over by the devil. And so he's feeding us a bunch of nonsense. But the not so silent majority is, raise, is rising up and getting their voice back. And we're going to see a shift in America in Jesus' name. But we want the highest uh, uh, seats of influence to be owned and uh, operated by Christians. We want the most prestigious pieces of land and property to be owned by Christians. We want the biggest companies, the loudest voices in media, the people writing curriculums and making laws to be Christians. We want teachers and coaches to be Christians. Why? Because they have seats of influence over people, and we want those seats of influence to be Christian moral influences. Why? Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. When the righteous are in the highest seats of all the mountains, the people are going to rejoice. It's best for the people. It's not because we're better than every. It's best for the people if the righteous are in authority, not just in their uh, careers, but also spiritually. Also spiritually, if you know your authority spiritually, you and your family will, will be rejoicing. You won't be groaning. Proverbs eleven eleven. by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. So a blessing is released with words. A curse is released with words. And so the higher your seat of authority and influence in culture, the louder your voice will be. And, and we want those people to be able to bless our city so the city can be exalted. We had a guy named Nathan Fletcher who was in the uh, Board of Supervisors, and he was trying to tear down our city by cursing our city, saying it's a sanctuary for abortion and all this nonsense. We need people of high moral value in those seats so that we can bless our city so our city can be exalted. So we have a mandate to influence culture. We, uh, th I don't know if you guys saw this video a few, a few weeks ago. Maybe it was a week ago, actually. Uh, I, I, it was Donald Trump, Dana White, and Tucker Carlson walking into an MMA fight into a packed arena and the whole place erupting. The whole place was erupting for this trio. And this is, a, this is how we shift uh, nations. This is how we, how we move people towards Christ when you have Donald Trump, who's at the gate of influence at the highest level in the government sphere, the government mountain. Then you have Dana White at the highest uh, uh, seat of authority in the sports and entertainment mountain. And then you have Tucker Carlson, who's at the height of his game in the media mountain. And you have these three guys at the very, very top collaborating together. That's how you shift things quickly. That's how you shift things quickly. So we need to be praying for those kind of people, not tearing them down. The other, the other way, you can't just, though, rely on the top. We, we, we all have to play our part. So you have to start to move from the periphery up and from the top down. That's how you take a whole mountain. So everybody's involved. We can't just leave it to the, you know, the Dana Whites and the Tucker Carlson's of the world. We have to, we have to uh, play our part. Um, so there's this guy in the Bible named Philip, and he's a, he's a powerful guy in the Bible. And I like Philip um, because we find him in Acts 21, and it says it calls him Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist. So we're in our evangelism series. I thought I'd look up, well, what did Philip do that made people call him an evangelist? And uh, I realized that I could probably do a 10-part series 
on Philip, but I have, uh, you know, 20 minutes, 22 minutes. So, but Philip, we find him uh, in the Bible first in Acts 6, and this is when the, the disciples, if you know um, the book of Acts, they started preaching the gospel and, uh, you know, studying the word of God, and they were serving tables, and they were on the high team, and they were on the production team, and they were in kids' church, and they were on the worship, they were doing everything. So they said, hey, we got to raise up some other people to serve the people the food. So basically they raised up a bunch of waiters and waitress, waiters actually, just waiters. So they raised up seven people to take that responsibility off of the apostles so that they could focus on the word of God and preach in the word of God. So that's where we first find Philip. He was one of those seven people. And the Bible says, then the 12 summoned the multitude, uh, Acts 6, 2 and 3, of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out among you Seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom that we may appoint over this business. So the first thing about Philip, because he was one of the seven, is he had a good reputation. He had a good reputation. To have a good reputation, you got to be good at something. you got to be great at something. Point number one is be great. Be great. Be great. Daniel eleven thirty two 32 says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. So I, I believe God is calling us to be great. And we have different levels of great, but be great at whatever you're called to do. Be the best that you can be in whatever God's calling you to do. Be great. Be great. That's how you get a good reputation. Jeff Hoffman, um, if you were at Pathfinders, you would have heard from Jeff Hoffman. He's a billionaire. He started multiple billion-dollar companies. And he says that you need to become the go-to person in people's life. Because when someone's calling you, you have a more authority or more influence in their life than when you're calling somebody else. And so he has become the go-to person at the highest um, seats of authority and influence in, in multiple different spheres. So now people are calling him for advice in business. People are calling him for advice on how to reach people, how to be philanthropic and, and all of that because he has so many different companies and organizations that he works with. He's affecting people all over the entire world, literally. And so he's become the go-to person. And so people call him. He's been great at what he does, and so now he's the go-to person for presidents, for kings, for high-level athletes and entertainers. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, but he actually was great in his job, and so he sat before kings, literal kings, the king of Saudi Arabia. So he shows a photo of him with the king of Saudi Arabia. Now, how many people know you don't just call a king and say, hey, king, I want to come have a coffee? The king called him. He was the go-to person, so the king called him, and so he comes and sits with the king, and the king's like, hey, I want, I want uh, your advice on this. I want to work with you in doing these things. And Jeff Hoffman, because he was great, because he had influence, he said, I would love to help you with that, but before I do, I need to tell you that I have a problem with how you treat women in your country. He's sitting with a king of Saudi Arabia because he excelled in his work, and now he's influencing the king on how to treat women in the country. So he tells the king, he says, this is, what I, this is what I have a problem with. And so he said the last time he was in Saudi Arabia, and he wasn't taking credit for all of it, 
But he definitely took credit for some influence that he had with the king. He said he saw women in the streets, saw women wearing clothes with skin showing, women working and driving. He said they started to treat women so much better since the first time that they met. And he knew he had a voice in that because he excelled at what he did and he became the go-to person. It's a powerful, powerful story of how he excelled in his work and literally sat before kings. Um, I, have a, I have a photo of a guy. Can you guys put the photo? Anybody know who that is? Tim Tebow. Anybody know what he's doing? He's praying. They call it Tebowing. He's Tebowing. Um, Tim Tebow was a was a, a, a missionary growing up, and he'd always he'd always been uh, philanthropic and gone on mission trips and everything. Um, but he was also very very good in football, and so he became like a like a top um, uh, uh, like a five-star recruit out of out of uh, Flor- out of high school, ends up going to University of Florida to play football. Won the Heisman in 2007. Guy was a total stud, but he was also a total Christian. If you watch the um, if you watch the series on Netflix, you'll find his his uh, his teammates in college were talking about how they used to go out and party, and because it was like Tim Tebow was like owned the whole college pretty much because he was the quarterback and he was a stud and everything. All the girls would ask for Tim Tebow and his and his friends would be like, he's at home, he doesn't come to parties. He doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs, doesn't smoke weed, doesn't do anything. He's probably reading his Bible. Like he was a legit Christian in, uh, in college. And so he goes to college um, because he was great and because he had a good reputation. And, and his coach, Urban Meyer, who was his former coach, said, Mr. Tebow's philanthropic efforts reshaped campus culture. One guy. And for a time, volunteering became fashionable. And, and, they, and he said that in his senior year, he raised over $340,000 for charity, working with sororities and fraternities um, because he was great, because he had a good reputation. He had influence over people. Then he gets drafted in the first round, and it's like Tebow spreads the nation, right? And uh, he begins to, to do this every time he makes a good player before the game, after he scores a touchdown. And there was a rabbi I was reading in the Wall Street Journal article, the Wall Street Journal article that said, uh, that said Tebow has made praying cool. And it says that, that the fact that he's praying in public, it's actually crossing religious uh, lines and praying has become cool in all religious uh, aspects. Now, he says it crosses all religious boundaries. This is in the Wall Street Journal. Then in USA Today, which was also a big paper back then, it says, uh, it's Tebow time. Denver quarterback inspires a nation. And he's talking about how Tim Tebow was in the playoffs, and they, the Denver Broncos won a game in, in, in the playoffs, and it was like the, uh, the quickest touchdown in overtime victory ever or whatever, and how he was trending on in, on uh, uh, on the internet, trending on Twitter, and he was more popular than when Beyonce announced her pregnancy. I mean, it was it was very popular, very popular, and uh, and and it says that it's Tebow time. Denver quarterback inspires a nation. The guy in the article writes this. This is in USA Today. He says his piety and his outspoken evangelical commitment are interesting, but they wouldn't matter if it were not for the incredible drama and success that he brings to the football field. In other words, if he was no good, no one would be listening. 
But because he was great, because he had a good reputation, people are listening. And they talked about how he threw for 316 yards. And how his favorite verse is John 3.16. All this stuff is trending on the internet. Millions and millions and millions of people are now listening to Tim Tebow because he was great. And now he has influence literally over a nation. Then he's in a Super Bowl commercial. It's my last Tebow thing. He's in a, he's in a Super Bowl commercial in 2010. Um, he started in this with his mother, Pam, in a controversial Super Bowl ad sponsored by Focus on the Family. In the, in the commercial, his mom cheerfully recounts how she defied doctors to continue a risky pregnancy and give birth to her miracle baby, Tim Tebow. She was advised to terminate her pregnancy... But because she was a Christian and had values, she ends up having a baby. That baby is Tim Tebow, and now he's influencing a nation. That spot uh, reached 92 million people on TV, pointing people to the anti-abortion website on Focus on the Family. One guy. They said the impact of that campaign was $31.7 million worth of media attention, and Tim Tebow did the commercial for free. So one man, because he was great, was able to influence literally a nation, and he's still doing it today. He's going around and speaking and and everything. Because he has a good reputation, people listen. So be great. And you may not be Tim Tebow. You may not be called to the NFL, but you're good at something. God will use you whatever you're good at if you have a good reputation. When I was done playing professional baseball, I went for my first job interview. And back then you like, you know, actually had a paper resume that you would hand the person that's interviewing you. And uh, the problem was I never really had a, a real job before. My job was baseball. So my, 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 my resume was like UCLA baseball, Marlins baseball. The only other job I really had was when I worked as a lion at the zoo when I was in college. I would dress up as a lion and do the chicken dance. It was really embarrassing. But no one knew who it was because I had a costume on. But it's crazy when you wear a costume and people take pictures of you and, like, all these little kids, like, I found myself smiling. But, like, you can't see me. It's so weird. Anyway. So that was, like, the only jobs that I ever had, okay? So I give the guy my resume, and I'm walking into this, in, in UTC, this tall glass building. I never had a job before. I didn't know, knew nothing about real estate. Didn't know how to work a printer. I had on my only tie and, uh, you know, nice shirt and pants. And I walk into this interview. This is literally like a couple of months after I retired from baseball. So I walk in, and the manager looks at my resume. And uh, after like a minute or two, he's like, you play baseball? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, just so happens we have a company softball tournament next month. The Southern California region's all coming together for a company softball tournament. And he's like, you can work for me, you can work for Randy, or you can work for Dennis. You, t- you, you pick. Who, who do you want to work for? The world is your oyster. I was, mi- I was making $1,150 a month playing pro baseball, so I didn't have money, but I had influence because God was using something that I was good at to get me in the door. If you have a mindset that God is sending you into the marketplace as a missionary or a- as an evangelist, you will take advantage of things that you're good at if you have a good reputation. So I get on the, I, I start working for Randy, 
who was the top retail guy in the office. So I'm working for him. A month later, we go to the softball tournament. And, like, this is like a couple of months after I was done playing professional baseball. Like, I was still in really good shape. So I was utterly dominating this tournament. <laughs> and so, like, in, in one day, the student became the teacher. All of a sudden, I had influence over all these guys in the office because God was using something that I was good at. From that time until I left there, I invited at least four of the guys to church multiple times. I know that they were definitely exposed to Jesus. I don't know if they actually raised their hand and got saved there, but for years after, they would call me about things of God. I had one guy that would text me for years after. Um, he'd be in bars arguing about Jesus with people in a bar. And be like, what do you think about this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, I'd be telling him, you know, and he's like, I like how you respond to me because you actually give me answers that are usable in life. It's not some weird concept, you know? And so, so they, they, I, got to, I got to have influence immediately with all these guys because God used something that I was good at. What are you good at? Start believing God that he's going to use you in that thing. But we got to be great. We got to have a good reputation. The second thing that they said about the seven were they got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You cannot represent Christ fully unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's point two. That's point two that runs into point three because I don't have time, which is to operate in power. Once you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you can then operate with a supernatural power. You can live a supernatural life. One of the things that made Philip the evangelist is because he was powerful. I preached a message that, that I was talking about earlier called demonstration because when you demonstrate the power of God and people see, sometimes they'll believe. Some people need to see before they believe. Philip in Acts 8, he's going around, it says, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down, he's a waiter, okay? He's a waiter, disciple, he's a waiter. Um, he's not at the top of his mountain. He's, he's climbing the top of the faith mountain, but he's a waiter went down to a city in Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And this hit me this week, because, because I think sometimes as Christians, we, we have like a false humility. Like, like someone will come to, to somebody and they'll say, hey, I can't believe you healed that guy last week or whatever, and, and people go, well, you know, it was God that healed him, and you know, praise God or whatever. But this says that he did it. This says that Philip did it. And I know that he did it with God's power, but he did it. I, I don't know why this hit me this week, but, but Peter and John go to the gate beautiful, and Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I want you to know today, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you have power. You don't gotta wait on God. He's already in you to flow out of you. Pete, Philip did it. Philip did it with the power of God. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. One guy, power of God, the whole city had joy. We gotta live a supernatural life. And, and, and supernatural life could mean you go to recovery and allow Jesus to transform your life so when people look at you, they're like, wow. You were once addicted, you were once bound, and now you're free and flourishing, and your marriage is unbelievable. Like, how did that happen? You can say, I live a supernatural life because the power of God is in me. 
You and I are called to live supernatural, powerful lives. And if you do that, you will affect and influence people in your world. I love this story of Kat Von D. I don't know if you guys have heard of her. She is this, she is this like a tattoo artist to the stars. She's a singer. She's a social media influencer. She has 9 million followers on Instagram, 11 million on Facebook. Every time she speaks, tens of millions of people hear what she has to say. And she's, she's uh, you know, dark. She was into witchcraft and vampires. And in fact, I was just uh, sharing this story last service. And one of the gentlemen in our service came up and said, he actually went up to her house 18 months ago before all this happened and uh, was doing some work for her in her house. And he said there was... He said it was the darkest thing ever. Like there was, you know, pictures of Satan putting his foot on the head of Jesus and neck of Jesus, like witchcraft books, like all kinds of stuff. And he said he didn't feel led to approach her, but he did feel led to pray in tongues. So him and his wife were kind of like walking around the house praying in tongues. And, and he's like, I don't know if I influence. I'm like, heck yeah, you influence something. Come on, every time you pray, shift happens. So he was doing something. And... Uh, so anyways, she ends up getting saved, getting baptized. Um, she goes to a little tiny church in Indiana, I think it is. And, uh, it, and she's like, I like the church because all these people are just joyful and they're just happy. And the life that they live is way better than the life that we were living. And it's like these, this, this little church just embraced this, this woman who still looks very dark. She's still on her journey, actually. Um, she just released a song called, like, Vampire Love or something like that. And, uh, but she's still on, on the journey. But we shouldn't be condemning her. We should be praying for her. Let's watch the video. She's on, I got her on a video. My husband and I, we look at our, the role decks of friends that we have. And the ones that are dictating their life through that. And they're making life decisions through tarot or through, um, you know, some of the witchcraft stuff. Like, uh, even the meditation stuff. Or, like, you know and I'm probably, I'm going to definitely offend a lot of people, but like the, the ayahuasca trips or the, the meditation caps and silent retreats, all the things yeah. that I used to do, except I never did ayahuasca, but like, they're all so miserable. Yeah. And like, they're the most broke people. Usually most of them are single. They don't have stability. And I'm talking about like both financial and like the love around them. Right. There's always these, this drama and dread and doom and gloom. And I was one of them, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's one thing that I would look around at my Christian friends and I'm like, they're not perfect by any means, Yeah. but I want what you have, you know, mm -hmm. like I love the light that you have. And it's like, um, so, so, you know, we're like, let's not be dummies anymore. And let's just like figure out what this, like this obviously hasn't worked for us, you know, let's yeah. like explore this. And so that's kind of like my whole perspective on it. I show you that video because your life is powerful. And when somebody that's operating powerfully in a demonic power recognizes your power, they submit to your power. And so this little church this little church influences this huge influencer, and she loves it. She loves it. She still dresses dark or whatever, but she's, she's, on, she's on the journey. It's interesting. She said the most kickback she got, because she, she's bold, like saying that on her social media. She's losing followers and everything else. But she said the most kickback she got was from Christians, telling her that it wasn't legit. 
telling her that she was just trying to use it for, you know, her own promotion and everything. And she's just like, I can't believe that. Like, I'm just, I'm just so excited to be following Christ. But if we live a supernatural life, you will have influence on people. Um, I remember, uh, you guys probably know this story if you've been here for a while of when my wife and I lost everything and we had to uh, move out of our house. But you might not know the story of when we moved out of our, our house. And we were, we were, um, had been battling to keep the home that was our dream home at that time that we had really stretched to buy. It was our first house. We had two little kids, and uh, it was a really nice house in a really nice neighborhood, and we were um, loving loving everything, and then the market crashed, and we started to lose everything, and we were fighting to keep our house. So I was trying to negotiate with banks and and trying to, you know, put the mortgage payments that I missed on the end of the loan and, and all this stuff. For like 18 months, we were battling with our with our bank. And one morning I was uh, praying, early in the morning, my wife was on the East Coast in Georgia at a conference um, with some other girls. And I was praying and I felt God say, let the house go. Let it go. Short sell it. Let it go like it's over. It, nothing's going to shift. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I'm trying to witness to my friend who lives across the street. If I have to let my home go, what does that say about me? What does that say about you? He said, let the house go. Let it go. And so I call my wife and she's three hours ahead and um, and I said, babe, I just felt like God said to let go of our house and short sell it. And she was like, no way, that's so crazy because last night I had the girls pray for me and pray for us. And she said, last night I had a dream. And I had a dream and I saw this house and the house had a white fence, had a barbecue, a pool, a view. And, uh, and she said it was interesting because it wasn't our house. And so she was like, okay, so that must mean that we're supposed to release our home. And so... Um, you know, we, we went through the process and, and short sold our house. And as we were kind of, um, right after I got off the phone with her that morning, two hours later, I'm at work and my sister calls me and she knew we were fighting to keep our house. And she says, Hey, I don't know if you guys are going to stay in your house or leave, but my friends who, um, had, you know, remodeled their, their dream home in El Cajon, just found another dream home, so they're moving, so they're going to rent their house, and I told them, you guys might be looking. I didn't tell her we were looking. We were still fighting to keep our house. Until that morning, I didn't get a release to, to release our house, and so um, I call my wife back, and I'm like, babe, my sister just said, like, it was their dream house, and now they're moving, and it's in El Cajon, and my wife's like, I don't want to live in El Cajon, <laughs> and uh, well, I wasn't thinking about it either, but maybe this is God. Sometimes you just got to start walking down the path to see if it's God. And so, so when she gets back in town, we drive to El Cajon to go to this house. And I kid you not, as we pull up to the house, my wife goes, oh my gosh, this is the house that I saw in my dream. And so we ended up calling the guy. We didn't even need to go in, but we went in anyways, and we called the guy, and we, we wanted the house. So he let us move into the house with no deposit, didn't check our credit because our credit was thrashed. And so we move into this house, and over the over eight years we lived there, our rent went down, not up. Like it was God just taking care of us, and it was it was amazing that when we moved in, um, the people that helped us moved in said, "This is better than the house you just moved out of," and that was like you know the biggest house we'd ever we'd ever seen or, or thought we could be a part of. It's a, it's living a supernatural life. So now anytime we had people to the house, we could tell them a story. We could say, "God got us this house." They could say, man, I want what you, what God do you serve? I remember telling that story to my friend who wasn't a believer, and they're like, you know, their mind just gets blown when you live a supernatural life. But we all have access, access to that. So we got to be people that live supernatural lives. The last one is obedience and courage. 
Obedience and courage. It's one thing to hear from God. It's another thing to do what God said. So, so Philip is, is in Acts 8, and he's, he's preaching the gospel, and, and an angel of the Lord comes to him. The voice of God comes to him and says, I want you to go and, and speak to this man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. So God is telling a waiter, Philip, to go talk to this eunuch of Ethiopia of great authority. I mean, that, that, it's one thing to hear from God, but it's another thing to go to this man of authority and begin to speak to him and ask him questions about things. And so Philip takes over this guy's chariot, ends up getting the guy saved, gets, gets him baptized, and then the Bible says that Philip is taken up by God and he literally gets transported to another city. Like, yeah, he like teleports to another city just like that. So because Philip was obedient and he had courage, he not only started a revival in Ethiopia, theologians say, but he got to experience one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world, getting teleported from one city to the next city. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience and your courage. Um, there's a young lady in our church named Jade Smith, and she was uh, sending her kids to a school here in San Diego, a Christian school, and they were, during all the COVID and whatever nonsense, they were going to start to call all of the children, not he, she, but they, thems. And so, and, and Jade is a, is a stay-at-home mom, but she had built a great reputation with the school. She had volunteered. She had relational equity with the school. So she had a voice with the principal, and she was gifted in research and writing. And so, so she felt God nudge her to send a letter to the school combating this thing because she loved the school. She didn't want the school. She didn't want to bring her kids out of the school. And so she heard from God, but the powerful thing was she did what God said to do. So she writes this letter with research saying how it's going to affect them mentally in the future, psychology, psychology, suicidal things. And the, the school literally reverses their whole policy because not only did she hear from God, but she did what God said. God will use you where you're good if you're willing to be obedient, live a supernatural life, and have courage to do what God told you to do. Come on, we need to attack the mountains from the top and from the bottom so that we can occupy seats of authority in this country and in this world. Amen? That's how we're going to disciple nations. Bow your head and close your eyes. I got to end the service. I want to pray for some people. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, maybe you've never said, Jesus be my Lord, be my Savior, guide and direct my life. Or maybe you're here and one time you've accepted him, but you've taken your life back because of the craziness of life. But today you're saying, you know what? I want to rededicate my life. I want a second chance with God. If you're one of those two people with every eye closed and head bowed, can you just slip up your hand where you are so I can pray for you? Is there anybody like that this morning? God bless you. I see that hand in the back on the left. Thank you. On my left over here. Thank you. On my left over here. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Thank you up here in the front on my left. God bless you, sir. Is there anybody else? I want to pray. Thank you over here to my right. Thank you up here to the middle. Thank you. All right, seven or eight people lifted their hand. Is there one more person? 
Thank you up there. Thank you over here. Thank you. Why don't you guys look at me? There was probably 10 people that lifted their hand, and uh, I want to pray for you, but I'd love to pray for you guys personally. Don't always do this, and you don't have to come forward, but I would love for, to pray for you personally and, uh, and really honor the decision that you're making this morning to accept Jesus into your life. It's the greatest decision that you can make. So why don't we all stand to our feet, and why don't we cheer and clap, and I want to ask those of you that lifted your hand, would you come down and let me pray for you this morning? Can we give them one more round of applause? So here's what we're going to do. How old are you guys? Eight? Eight and six? You know, I received Christ when I was six years old. That's pretty cool, man. I probably didn't have any front teeth either. Jesus is going to give you your front teeth back at some point. That's not like a miracle thing. That's just natural. Um, but hey, we're going to pray. <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us in a prayer. All of you guys, I would love for you to say this prayer after me with all of us out here. Let's all say this out loud and help these guys pray. A lot of us have done this, done this prayer, and this is what's going to happen. Jesus Christ himself is going to come and live in your heart. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and you're going to start to see things differently. You're going to start to feel empowered. You're going to start to see yourself as an agent, as a representative of the kingdom of heaven, and it's going to happen just like that. So let me pray this prayer. You guys repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today I repent from my sins and I believe that you are the Christ and that God raised you from the dead on the third day. Today I ask that you would come and live in my life and help me live a life that glorifies you. Today I declare that heaven is my home and that God is my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.